morning to everyone, wherever you may be today. We know uh, and we're so thankful for technology. Um, you know, we wouldn't, have, we wouldn't have been able to do this not too long ago, but uh, we're confident that we have a full house, even though we don't have a full house here today. And it's certainly understandable, um, the, this, this treacherous weather, but we also feel that when we can, we want to meet together. So thank you, thank you for taking time to be here. Uh, I was going to announce to those um, that are not able to be here that we were giving um, a gold eagle to everyone that came, but uh, I did a quick count and I realized we can't afford that. So, but I do give you my hearty thanks. And if you're not here, of course, we understand. Um, we're going to continue where we tried to go last week. Uh, number two in our study of fullness. We're opening our heart to the idea of fullness. John said in chapter one that of his grace we have received, and it wasn't just a one-time receiving, it was grace after grace after grace. So as our cups that are usually there indicate, we keep filling up whatever we have in Jesus, there's more. There's more. Uh, let's begin by turning our eyes to the screen and let's remember the Lord's Prayer together. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Lord, we also pray for those that are in harm's way today because of this storm. We pray for churches that uh, will be severely impacted by this storm. They may not have the ability to do some of the things that other churches are able to do. So we pray for them that their finances will be strong, their fellowship will be strong, there would be no property damage, and that they would be able to pick up even stronger after this storm. We pray for folks that are sick, uh, both here and across the nation, those that are suffering, those that are in grief. We, we lift them up to you, and we know that you are the God who promises to set everything right. Maybe not today, maybe not by our schedule, but you do all things well and you promise that you would complete the work that you've begun. So bless us as we open our heart to the word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, I know that you'll hear more next Sunday, but I wanted to just remind you that on the 30th, not next Sunday, but on the 30th, we have a uh, student service day. You remember about a year and a half ago, we had a kids takeover where Pastor Bella was in charge of the service and we saw what goes on with kids. It was to help you get a feel for the exciting things that are happening with your little ones in children's church and even in the nursery. And we wanted to give that same opportunity to Pastor Mike and the youth ministries, union youth ministries. And, um, we're giving them that Sunday. It's going to be a great day, and we just want to give you a heads up. You're going to see some things that I know will excite you. The scripture says, you're boasting. Now, and I do have to set the context. 
they had been, the church in Corinth had been boasting about their tolerance of sin. <laughs> they would not have said, hey, we're tolerating sin. But they were in a culture in Corinth that said, well, Jesus is good news and the gospel is true, but we don't want to be offensive to the community. We don't want to seem as holier than thou's. So we understand that there are some things that are just off the charts bad, but there are some other things we can tolerate because we, after all, are a group that's inclusive and wants everyone to feel welcome. Um, and Paul gave them a rebuke. He said, your boasting is not good. This is not something that ought to be done. He said, don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Now this verse is fairly easy to understand. Paul alludes to the Passover, and on Passover the bread was to be prepared without yeast. Yeast was considered to be something that was corrupting. It was uh, considered to be something that didn't belong in the bread as far as pure ingredients go. So for Passover, the children of Israel were to get rid of the yeast, be sure no yeast made it into the bread. In fact, um, uh, one author, and uh, I, I, I've tried to run it down, I think there may be something to it. He says that our tradition of spring cleaning had its roots in Passover, because there was the cleaning out, um, devout Orthodox Jews would even take a feather and dust between the cracks in the countertops to be sure there was no yeast in the house. And he said, that's where we inherited the tradition of spring cleaning. Of course, a lot of us may not have inherited that at all. We may not do spring cleaning, but you understand what I'm talking about. This is a fairly easy passage to understand. He says, look, think of Passover. They got rid of all yeast so that the bread could be pure. And he said, that's the way your lives ought to be. But when you consider the way yeast is used in scripture, it can be confusing because yeast in some passages was considered a bad thing, but in probably more passages, it was considered a good thing. And then Jesus comes along and talks about the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the leaven of Herod. And we have to, we have to look at that uh, and we'll do that. Let me begin by explaining something to you. Um, in the 50s, the last century, America changed the way she did everything. Included in that change was that we had become in the 50s a nation of tourists, a nation of travelers. And every town had a hotel, but a new thing was introduced in the 40s and 50s called a motel or a motor hotel. The idea that uh, you came and you could stay overnight as you made your way across country, that was unheard of before the middle part uh, of the 20th century. And right in the middle of the 20th century, something amazing happened. Now, in the 50s, it was a great time. Boy, 
You think of great cars, you know, you had the 57 Chevy. You think of baseball, you had the 56 Yankees. You think of great people, you had the 55 Chitties. And you just go on and on. A lot happened in the 50s. Our country not only came up with some good things, but we began to mobilize and, and turn and begin to at least work on some of our problems. But something happened primarily in the 50s, actually in the late 40s, early 50s, that would change the face of America. And it was this. It was the spread of fast food establishments. Now, up until that time, you might have a famous steakhouse in Kansas City, but you had to go to Kansas City to get to that famous steakhouse. You might have a famous hamburger drive-in in Los Angeles, but you had to go to Los Angeles. And what I'm saying is that before I was born, the concept was there were great restaurants everywhere, but you had to go to those great restaurants in order to experience the great food. Somebody came up with something. They said, we want to create chains of restaurants like McDonald's and KFC and things like that. But their concern was, we know that KFC works in Kentucky, Kentucky Fried Chicken. We know that it works there. And, um, but if you move it to another location, you're going to have different chefs. You're going to have different tastes. And KFC in Arkansas won't be the same as KFC in Kentucky. The same with McDonald's. And after a while, they came up with what to us seems a simple concept, but it was this. They said the food success is in its seasoning. And if we can develop a plan where the same seasoning is used by McDonald's, the same cooking method is used by McDonald's, in New York as in Los Angeles, then people will begin to understand wherever we see the sign McDonald's, we'll get the same thing that originated in California. You know Colonel Sanders came up with his secret recipe of special herbs and spices, never known to anybody, but he guaranteed you that if you stopped at a KFC restaurant, it would be the same in this town as in this town, and it worked. It caught on. They would buy the same kind of stoves. They would buy the same kind of even sinks. Everything had to be the same because they understood if you can get the seasoning right, the product will sell anywhere. And that is a very poor illustration, perhaps, of what we're talking about when we're talking about the flavoring of fullness. Jesus never required that every Christian and every culture be exactly the same. Sometimes we realize that we have so many different denominations because of doctrinal issues, and, and that's true, and doctrine does make a difference. But sometimes it's just a matter of style. It's a matter of seasoning. And Jesus wasn't opposed to this idea of seasoning. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Um, he says that, uh, or Paul says, let your speech be seasoned with grace. Paul said, get rid of the wrong kind of seasoning. So the scripture is full of the idea that we are seasoning in our culture and we ought to be a seasoning that is a preservative and, and, and makes the taste better. 
Okay, so again, he's not asking for, for you know, uniformity, but he does ask for unity. He says there is a flavoring. In other words, he spoke to every Christian, whether they were in Bolivia or Bangkok or the Bronx. He speaks to every Christian, says you ought to be known by your love. There's a seasoning that all of us ought to have. Uh, and we're pretty good with that. We're working on that. But we might not be quite as clearly aware that there is some seasoning that can be counterproductive. There's some seasoning that defies people's expectation and it's not a good thing. Somebody asked me in a pastoral teaching thing one time, they said, what's the most amazingly good thing and the amazingly bad thing you've learned about being a pastor? I said, the most amazingly good thing is that you never underestimate the goodness and the kindness of the people of God. And they said, oh, that's great. What's the worst thing? I said, never underestimate the meanness and the pettiness and the selfishness of the people of God. And it's not that this group is saved, this group isn't. This group makes it clear that they're saved. This group you have to wonder about, not pointing to you guys over here, just you're in the wrong seat today. But, uh, but the, the principle that I'm trying to make is this. Um, we are not saved by works. It, that's why we call grace amazing. It's, a, it's absolutely amazing. And if our sins are under the blood of Jesus and we are submitted to him, we're going to heaven. But what we want to be sure happens is that we have the right kind of seasoning in our life to make us palatable to others. Now, I was talking about sometimes leaven's good, sometimes leaven's bad. In the Passover, Leaven was bad. Get rid of it. And leaven is actually a corrupting thing, you know, um, but not corrupting in a moral sense. But it was seen that way in the Passover. Don't let anything that's corrupting be in your life. Uh, in Galatians 5, where we just read, Paul said bad behavior, that's what the leaven was about. He said when you allow behavior in your life that ought not to be there, he said that's like having leaven that comes in and corrupts the pure creation of God. So the lesson is that our lives to be influenced or flavored by Christ and not by evil influences. But there's also good leaven. In Matthew 13, 33, when he was talking about the kingdom of God, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a woman that takes a pinch of leaven and puts it into a batch of dough. He said the, the pinch of leaven, that's just a, a, just think of a little woman's hand, just a pinch of leaven and she puts it in. But the leaven has the ability to spread throughout the entire batch of dough. I believe Jesus was saying that's the way the kingdom of God is. Don't despise the day of small things. Don't take your progress reports by this earth because the kingdom is subject to a gospel that is like leaven. Even a little influence can grow beyond our wildest dreams and expectations. Don't ever underestimate your prayers for your children or for your spouse or for your family or for your neighbors. It may seem like nothing, but I want you to know that every prayer you utter is preserved by God and your prayers will be answered long after you and I are gone. Um, or Leviticus 7 verses 13 and 14. When we came to God in the Old Testament with the fellowship offering, we were to be sure to include the leaven 
And likewise in Leviticus 23, when we began the festival of weeks, be sure you have leaven on hand because it's part of the celebration. What I'm trying to say to you is that if we're not careful, we will think, well, if leaven's bad, then I just, I just don't want to have any seasoning in my life at all. And, and, and we, we've all known people like that. They are doctrinally as straight as a gun barrel, but also just as empty in their appeal. Jesus wasn't saying, don't let your life be flavorful. I believe every personality God can use. I believe every gift God can use. I believe every, every uh, set of circumstances that are part of our life, God can use. But Jesus says, be sure that you don't allow anyone to put the wrong kind of leavening or the wrong kind of seasoning in your life. And he cited three in particular. That's what I want to deal with very quickly today. Um, and he said in Matthew 16, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not going to cover every part of the notes today. Um, Matthew 16, when they went across the lake, I think this is in your notes. The disciples forgot to take bread. Okay, they forgot to take bread. No big deal. They can get somewhere they're going perhaps. But then Jesus comes up with a prophetic word in a place they weren't looking for a prophetic word. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then, you know, as you go along in the story, their thought, boy, he's upset with us. He's about, to, he's about to tell us how bad we did by forgetting the bread. But when Jesus made his explanation, it says in verse 12, then they understood he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus used a moment about bread to teach them about the power of a wrong influence. Now in Mark 8, 15, he says the same thing, but about another type of leaven. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of Pharisees and that of Herod. Now Jesus said there are three forces that, remember we're talking about fullness now, representing him. Jesus said there are three influences that will find their way into your life if you let them. They are so deceptive that you will think this is the way I ought to live and I'm right. And at every one of these uh, influences, there was a profound danger. And Jesus said, I want you to know you can have a right view toward the right things, but if someone sprinkles the wrong leavening in your life, it can destroy your witness and it can destroy the effectiveness of your life. Let's look at them together. Here's number one. He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were the group that most of us would belong to if we lived in Jesus' day. I don't mean this as an insult to the assemblies of God, but if we were around in Jesus' day, we would have affiliated with the Pharisees because we were doctrinally in alignment with them. The problem with the Pharisees was not so much what they believed, but it was what they added on to their belief. 
And whether we are the medieval church or whether we are the, the, the Pentecostal church that emphasizes uh, words of prophecy and uh, living, talking Holy Spirit, we always, the church always has to be careful to understand that we live by the word. We live by the word and we live by the word alone. You can have convictions that come alongside the word, but you mustn't let your convictions rise to the level of the word. That's what Jesus was talking about to the Pharisees. He said, you've allowed the teaching of men to become equal to the teachings of God. That's why I'm baffled today. Um, even among Messianic Jews and on Christians and on the part of Christians that, that love the Old Testament, we, we, I don't know why we keep running to the rabbinical teachings when we ought to be running to the Old Testament. And the rabbinical teachings, by and large, were what Jesus told them they were in trouble with to begin with. Um, I, that went over real well. So let me, let me try saying it a different way. The Pharisees believed in every word of Scripture, all of the Old Testament. They believed every word was inspired. They believed in the afterlife. They believed in the basic foundations of scripture. They believed in holiness, but they believed in holiness. In fact, the name Pharisees comes from a Hebrew word that means separated or holy ones. They began by thinking Israel is not taking holiness seriously. And the Pharisees, and there were only, I think it was less than 6,000 uh, Pharisees during the time of Jesus. They were a, a small sliver of the population, but they influenced everything about Jewish life. And it happened because of the godly influence they developed during the intertestamental period. But something happened that turned the Pharisees from the poster boys of righteousness to the enemies of Christ. And I'll tell you what it was. They said, if the word of God is this powerful and this good, then we need to add our voice to it. And what happened is the 600 plus thou shalts or thou shalt nots of the law of Moses turned to over 6,000 thou shalts or thou shalt nots because of the fence laws that the Pharisees put up. Pharisees said, you got to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That's the law of God. We need to do that. But they added what we call fence laws. The idea was if this is the tree that you don't want to get close to, let's build some fences around it. So in order to be sure that we honor the Sabbath day, let's add a few laws to it and let's don't eat eggs that a chicken laid on the Sabbath. If you felt a flea on your leg on the Sabbath day, you were not allowed to scratch or even uncover because by the rabbinical teaching that would be hunting and you were not allowed to hunt on the Sabbath. So holy men and women just had to, is it sunrise yet? I got to deal with the flea. We laugh about that, but I want to tell you that appeals to a heart that loves God. Oh, what can I do to be sure I don't violate the law? We, it's wrong, but our tendency is to gravitate toward fence laws. To gravitate toward things. You can't travel on the Sabbath day. You can't get your, you know, you can't get your hands dirty on the Sabbath day. 
because they did not understand why there was a Sabbath. The Sabbath was not meant to paralyze you. A Sabbath was meant to say, you do not need to labor seven days a week to do the work of God. You need to give a day back to God. And the heart of the Sabbath is this, God can provide for you in six days as well as he can provide for you in seven days. It wasn't about rest, it was about saying, to a group of people that, that live day by day by their work, it was God saying, just like I taught Israel on, in the wilderness, that you don't gather manna on the seventh day. I want you to know if you will take time to have a day of rest, if you will take time to have a day of worship, you will see that I will provide your needs even though it seems like you can't do without a day's pay. It was a, it's like tithing. God says, I can do more with 90% than you can do with 100%. But the Pharisees and people just like them today are so desirous of pleasing God, they have a good heart. But they make the tragic mistake of adding extra commands. And that's why we have churches that teach things that are not biblical. That's why we have Christians that hold to things that are not biblical. Now, don't, under, don't misunderstand me before I go on to the Sadducees. Um, the, I, I, there are times that we make sacrifice. And there are things, we've taught about this, it is perfectly fine to have a conviction about something. I feel this way, not because the Bible says I can't do this, but because of the way I was raised or, or, or something in my heart. I just don't want to participate in that. You know, and, and that you're not adding, as long as you don't add that to somebody else, there are things I can't do that I think you have perfect liberty to do. And there are things you probably don't do that others have liberty to do. It's called a conviction. But the problem comes in when you try to make everybody else live by your conviction. That never works. There's nothing wrong. Paul taught us this with meat offered to idols. He said, I know there is nothing wrong with meat offered to idols. But he said, it is such a controversial thing in this culture that we are trying to win. He said, I've made up my mind. I'm free to eat but I don't have to eat. See, and we, we, even we Pentecostals have a tendency to say, well, I'm free to do this. I'm free to do that. I'm free to drink this. I'm free to eat that. Well, you are, but you're also free to not do that. But, but the, the key is not transferring your freedom or your restrictions over to anybody else. The word of God stands by itself Nothing comes equal to it. Nothing compares to it. And Jesus says, when you live your life, be sure that you don't make the mistake of the Pharisees. A good start, but then it gets polluted by additional rules. Then we have the Sadducees. Now you say, what was the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Pharisees believed everything. They were known for their righteousness. The Sadducees were known for their political power and for their light-handed approach to the word of God. The Pharisees believed in the word of God once they approved it. There were passages that they said, this is the word of God. Then there were passages they didn't understand or they didn't like. And they said, this is not the word of God. It was kind of a cafeteria approach to the scriptures. Um, they, they were, um, if I may say so, they were the poster children for political correctness. 
We won't say anything that will offend anybody. And most of all, we won't say anything that offends us. You see, the Pharisees, their problem was legalism. Legalism is conservatism gone bad. But the problem with the Sadducees was liberalism. And I'm not talking about political liberalism. In America, when we, think, when we talk about liberals, we talk, we, we're thinking political parties. That's not what I'm talking about. Liberalism is the word I want to use because it, it was used in the sense of we are not going to have a strict code. We're not going to have a close interpretation of Scripture. We're going to be literal and live any way we want to. And they were called the Sadducees. What my uh, Old Testament professor used to say, uh, somebody said, why were they called Sadducees? He said, well, they didn't believe in life after death. They didn't believe in most of the Bible. They didn't believe that you were going to heaven. So they were sad, you see. <laughs> they were sad, you see. Okay, no, they were Sadducees. Um, Jesus, when he was questioned, you remember that time Jesus was questioned? He said, uh, he said or, or someone said to him, there's a woman married to a man, and then there was the law if a man died without a child. And I know this sounds barbaric to us, but it was, it was the law of the land. If, if, a brother, if, a, if a son died without producing an heir, the carrying on of his name was so important that one of his brothers was to produce a child with his name, with his brother's name, so that the lineage continued. Now, that sounds barbaric to us, but that was a the law they understood. They said, well, this woman married a man, he died. She married his brother, he died. Married a third, he died. Seven men she married, and, and when she gets to heaven, whose wife will she be? That was such a hypocritical question because they didn't even believe that we went to heaven. And Jesus gave a great expression and then he said this, I love it. He said, you're wrong about this. He said, but you know what you're really in error about? Because you don't know the scripture and you don't know the power of God. You don't know the scripture and you don't know the power of God. He says, you have whittled away at the scripture until it looks like a block of Swiss cheese. And what you don't even understand is there's no spiritual fruit produced by what you teach. There's no power. Uh, Paul said that the gospel was the power of God unto salvation, but the Sadducees said, no, we, we'll, we'll pick and choose what we believe. Now they were a powerful group. They controlled the Sanhedrin in the time of Jesus, and they, they controlled the priesthood, or, the, or at least the chief priest, in the time of Jesus. So what you've got now, Jesus said, I want you to be careful when you approach life, when you approach the word. Don't have the Herod, I mean, uh, the uh, leaven of the Pharisees, that's legalism. Don't take the, the, the seasoning of the Sadducees, that's liberalism. They believe just enough to have a card, but they don't have any fruit in their life. But he went on a little bit further and he said, don't accept the leaven of Herod. Now, Herod seemed to be the opposite of the Pharisees. He did seem to be allied somewhat with the Sadducees, but they still, it was just an uneasy coexistence. The Pharisees were guilty of legalism. The Sadducees were guilty of a liberalism in their theology what was Herod guilty of? His was, for lack of a better term, lawlessness. Lawlessness. 
Adrian Rogers preached a message about this leaven one time and he called it licentiousness. That's a good Bible word. It's a good King James word, but we don't use it much. But licentiousness just meant I take liberty to do whatever I want to do. It was a legalism. It was a, I mean, not a legalism, a lawlessness, a lawlessness. And we see the way Herod viewed the word in Mark's gospel. And what happened is that the scripture says Herod had John arrested because of his offensive preaching. You know, he was saying, you're not supposed to live the way you're living. The wife you've got is not yours to have. And it made Herod angry, but it made Herod's wife more angry. And uh, I mean, who, who tells the first lady she doesn't belong, you know? And so Herod arrested John to keep his wife quiet. But listen to what the scripture says. It says that Herod feared John and Herod respected John and he liked to listen to John. Jesus said, here's a man that tuned in to the John the Baptist show every Sunday night at seven o'clock. He was on his mailing list, got his gospel albums. Well, maybe he didn't say exactly that, but that kind of thing. He, it, it, the Bible says he enjoyed listening to John, even though he did not agree with John. Another way of viewing it is he was entertained by John. He was entertained by John. And when the pressure came, he yielded to a seductive, sensual dance by his stepdaughter, which is twisted in and of itself. And he said, keep doing it and I'll give you whatever you want up to half the kingdom. She went to, boy, she was a, a daughter like her mother. She went to her mother and said, what should I ask for? And she's thinking probably money or positions of power. And the, the woman was so bound with anger, uh, the, the wife of Herod asked for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And that's exactly what Herod gave. And Jesus said, I want you to know that not only do you need to beware of legalism that says, you know, we, we believe the word. We believe all of it, praise God. We don't like preachers that don't preach all of it. We don't like churches that don't preach all of it. We believe it. And we've got some other good suggestions to bring alongside it. He said, don't do that. He said, don't make the opposite mistake of saying, I believe, but I want to deconstruct here. I want to rework the words of Jesus. I want, to, I want to bring a 21st century understanding to a first century text. What in the world makes you think that being separated by 2,100 years, you understand an ancient text better than the original writers? That was the Sadducees. That was their view. But then he also said this, and it seemed to come out of nowhere. He said, be careful that your relationship to the word doesn't settle on, well, I like the way they do things. I'm entertained. This fits my fancy. This is my preference. Because you know what we see with Herod? He was a man that respected John. He was a man that even feared John. 
He was a man that loved listening to John. He was entertained by him. But sooner or later, you're going to come to the place in the road where you've got to make a decision for or against righteousness. And without the new birth, you'll go the wrong way every time. You'll go the wrong way every time. I'm telling you, I'm not, you say, oh, pastor, you're just jealous that you're not the biggest church in town or biggest church in the state. No, we've never been that. I don't have anything to be jealous of. I've never thought we would be or, or that that was God's plan for us. But I will tell you this, I believe the judgment of God is falling even now and will continue to fall unless repentance comes on churches that have built themselves on being a consumer-driven church. The kingdom of God doesn't conform to a wicked culture and we don't pick and choose what we believe based on what the crowd will like. You've got to be careful got to be careful if we're going to walk in fullness. Now, if we want, if you're talking about the fullness of a building, oh, we got all kinds of options we can take. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, pastor, I want to be a part of this church. I want to help you. What's the number one thing that this church can do to double its size? And I looked at him, I'm very honest. I wasn't trying to be smart aleck yet. I said, all we have to do is compromise. He said, what? He said, oh, we can double easily if we'll just compromise. If we'll either add some popular teaching that's not biblical, or if we'll neglect some teaching that is biblical, or if we say we just want to build it faster and fancier, and we want to be sure that we get people back week after week. Loved ones, I'm telling you, we're after fullness, but not that kind of fullness. We're after fullness in the heart of every child of God. Now, we were shooting for an hour today. That means I have three minutes to finish up. And I want to tell you, this is the age of miracles. I will do it. I will do it. Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to be full we want to be full of you. We want to be full of your word. Lord, this isn't the kind of message we just make an altar call for. But Lord, you know, every one of us, if there is a leaven in us that smacks of legalism, or if there is a leaven in us of judgmentalism and liberalness that says it's got to be my way or the highway. Father, you also know those of us that are playing games. We, we just, we, 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 we are a part of Christian life just as a life insurance policy. We want to be sure that we got hell taken care of, but we're not sure how committed we want to be. Father, if there's any of that in any of us, we open ourselves for the Holy Spirit to come right now. Come Holy Spirit, purge us, cleanse us, sanctify us. As we continue and we start in earnest in our journey through these principles of fullness next week. Father, you've already spoken to us about getting out of Moab. We don't belong in Moab. But now that we're coming back into the land, let our lives be free of corrupting influences. In Jesus' name. Loved ones, I, I, th I think, I don't know the last Sunday I looked and I believe I know everybody in the building. We, we've got a small crowd. For those of you who can't see, we've got a very small crowd today because of the weather. So I think it's a safe bet to say this group's going to heaven. Uh, I, there may be some I'm, I'm not seeing that I don't know, but everybody I can see, I know. 
But I tell you what, I do know that I could be wrong. There could be someone here or someone listening online that doesn't know Jesus. And if you will come forward and talk with one of the pastors or talk with our ministry team, um, ministry team, we're going to ask you to come forward now in case there are those that want to give their heart to the Lord or have other prayer requests or online. Justin, do we have someone manning the phones today? We're not, this is so bad. Yeah, call anyway if you're, if you're wanting prayer, if, if you're away and you want to call. Um, we, we have so much sickness and so many uh, road conditions here. I'm not sure if our team is at the phones, but if you call and no one answers, leave a message and we will call you back just as soon as we possibly can. Go online. We'll be glad to begin a correspondence with you about following Jesus. Thank you for being here. If you need prayer, it's 11 o'clock right now. My hour is gone and so am I. I love you guys. 